Welcome, Whorehounds, to another exciting episode of Cadaver Dogs Podcast. I'm Rob Pasercha. I'm Devin Shepard. And I'm David B. Jacobs. And we are Cadaver Dogs. So, I'm sorry, guys. I'm a little scatterbrained today. I just got stuck in traffic for like an hour and a half coming back from New Jersey to New York City, Queens, where I record this podcast. If you guys hadn't noticed from my elaborate background of just a wall behind me with a a half-naked woman, and Texas Chainsaw. So our first and film... I'm sure that no one has noticed that if they're listening. <laughs> <laughs> they're listening. Yeah. You got to follow our social media accounts and take a look at our still photos of our uh, Zoom calls if you want to see what my room looks like. Uh, so and what lo- my prop master's room looks like. And my right. closet. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Dev- Devin records in a closet. So uh, our first film spawned a variety of extreme reactions, and even the sequels to it especially. But the beginning of the first film, if you watch it in a certain area, which Devin Shepard actually did, you might have an extreme reaction to the content on screen. So Devin, why don't you give us a rundown of what we're talking about? Yeah, so our first film is Final Destination. Alex Browning and his classmates are boarding a plane to Paris, ready to embark on the greatest trip of their lives. Minutes before takeoff, Alex has a premonition the plane is going to explode. He panics, telling everyone to get off. Only a few follow him back to the terminal while the rest lift off into the darkness. Alex watches as his premonition comes true as the plane erupts into a fireball, killing everyone on board. He and his followers are the only survivors, but not for long. One by one, the survivors begin to die in horrible Rube Goldberg-esque accidents. Alex, Claire, and others believe death is out to get them. Can they cheat death again and defy their fate? Their final destination? Uh, I do want to plug that this was a suggestion by one of our listeners, Fallon. So thank you for suggesting this one, Fallon. This was a really great treat to rewatch. And I, okay, so what Rob was alluding to, while he was stuck in traffic, I was flying back to New York on a plane. And in order to watch this in time for this recording, I had to watch this movie on a plane, flying (laughs) to New York, which is where they were flying from. Okay, and I was also flying from Colorado, and one of the main songs in this freaking movie is by John Denver, which is the state song of Colorado about Colorado. Mm. It was the wackiest, hardest experience. And as we were flying, we were flying over a lightning storm. So there was legit, I'm like watching this plane blow up on my my computer screen and seeing lightning outside of my plane window. Yeah. And on top of all that, when you're in Colorado, there are certain things you do that would heighten this experience. Isn't that correct, Devin? I don't smoke weed. (laughs) To top it off, you had a a French passenger next to you and uh, the clip on your tray and Freed Sunny broke off just like in the movie. Oh my god! Oh my god! And I switched seats. Oh my god! What? What's happening? Yeah, and there was a guy. There was some guy telling you you had to take a dump before you got on the plane, so you wouldn't ruin it. <laughs> I completely forgot about that dumping scene when I watched this again because I hadn't seen the movie since early two thousands. Yeah, it's it's very random. Yeah, yeah. It's also funny because that character, when he dies later, he's also in the bathroom taking a dump. Oh or yeah! Wow, ready I didn't even yeah. think about that. Yeah. That, guy, right. that character is very what's his name the the friend todd 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 is very um associated with bathrooms <laughs> yeah for some reason that's a constant thing <laughs> yeah. in this film yeah. i so my first time i've seen i watched this movie so many times as a kid and it was like the most terrifying film i had ever seen this movie got me scared of every little fucking thing and I think started my anxiety. And I mean, we, we're not going to talk about the sequels today, just a heads up for everyone. Um, but in the sequel, when there's a car accident, I couldn't drive behind trucks for years. I still have like anxiety attacks driving behind trucks. How was your reaction to these films? Well, Did you to- have the same one? Well, today I was behind a truck carrying a bunch of logs 
for like half the traffic ride. So <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, oh yeah, and I'm about to record a podcast in Final Destination. I'm like, glad it's the first one. Um, I mean, I haven't seen the sequels, but I'm afraid of trucks anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, we've talked about what scares me personally. These, these movies don't do it. <laughs> no. Really? No. Well, yeah. I, I kind of like it because um, David mentioned to me earlier that depending on his mood, it's either a slasher movie or it's not. And yep. part of what makes a movie a slasher movie isn't necessarily the villain. A lot of it is the cast, or at least that's part of a trope, because I, I guess a lot of it comes from those uh, Friday the 13th type movies where it's a bunch of young people and something's killing them in horrific ways. So if that's our only criteria, then, you know, this is very similar to I Know What You Did Last Summer or uh, even like a Joyride or uh, what's the one? The Faculty. Scream. Right. I was thinking the faculty because that mm. is a, mm. an alien movie. Right. That's yeah. not really. Didn't Eli Roth do that, by the way? It's like a weird Eli Roth movie. Uh, um, no, it's uh, Robert Rodriguez. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. It's a weird Robert Rodriguez movie. Right. Yeah. No, that's interesting. And I know James Wong, the director, as well as Glenn Morgan, the. Um... Not to be confused with James Wan. Yes. Thank you <laughs> for specifying that. <laughs> W-O-N-G. Um, the writer Glenn Morgan, as well as, as the original writer Jeffrey Reddick. Um, they mentioned specifically that they didn't want to do a slasher film, which is why they took away mm. um, a visualization of death. Well, I mean, in the film, it's wind. Mm. question mark so i think that's a good question rob but i don't know if i considered this a slasher movie i think throughout these conversations with you guys i'm trying to redefine slasher when what Mm. it means to me well i i really like how you mention wind because usually what happens in these type of movies with any kind of supernatural presence like Pumpkinhead does this uh, really well the wind picks up you know birds stop uh chirping or whatever and like the environment comes into you and then the big bad shows up but in this movie there is no big bad it's the wind picks up all these things happen and then the environment kills you right i almost feel like it's a bunch of guys smoking pot hanging out they're like you know what slasher movies are boring you're like yeah you know let's just make a movie where just death kills them they just all get killed (laughs) by death you know it like it depends on how you define a slasher and i mean i i think genre is like really uh, the the Strictly defining genre, I think, is really stupid and pointless and uh, kind of ruins movies, and you shouldn't do that. I disagree. So, oh. uh, so with slashers, there's a way that you look at it where it, it's more of just a formula. There are a bunch of usually teens, not always, but in this case it is teens, so great, who die in horrific ways one by one until we're down to just a few survivors or even one survivor. And this movie just follows that formula perfectly. There are death scenes. It's exploitive. It's it, it, it's not a human villain is the only thing. It's not human. It's not even humanoid. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. something that was interesting that the filmmakers said specifically was the difference with this film and other films that they have seen is that you kind of know that all the characters are going to die. They say it pretty much in the beginning. Like, there's not really a yeah. way that you can cheat death. Um, and especially at the end, when they say, you know, oh, I cheated je- death, but it's just going to start again from the beginning and come after us again. So does that rule of this film that everyone's just going to die and there is not going to be a survivor, does that make it different from the slasher? Uh, Well... Not necessarily. I mean, there are slasher movies where everyone dies. Yeah, and there are slasher movies where it's implied that the killer is still alive. I mean, that that's mm-hmm. just... It, it's in, it's like in Scream. This is the part where killer comes back for one last kill. Right. It's just, it's just that. It's that trope. <laughs> A movie we just talked about, uh, well, I guess several weeks ago at this point, The Town That Dreaded Sundown. I mean, the whole point of that is the killer might still be at large here, right? And yep. in this case, I mean... It's not a killer. It's killing is at large, right? Death is at large Mm. and you'd never get rid of it. It's like an overall force. So, I mean, I don't consider this movie a slasher movie, but I would say that it follows the same formula as slasher films. Yeah, exactly. I I think the ending even leans into that and makes it more slasher. Whereas there is an alternate ending that I think would have uh, pulled it farther away from the formula. Uh, I it's wish still... we had video to see how big of an eye roll I just did at this alternate ending. Can, can one of you guys explain? Can one of you guys explain the alternate ending to the audience? They probably haven't seen it. Uh, yeah. So basically, what happens in the alternate ending 
is that Alex and Clear hook up on the beach, and then Clear is pregnant. So Alex actually dies in the big explosion toward the end of the movie, but that does not recycle. It continues on, and Clear has this baby now, and it's like, Who's oh, they Alex's cheated. Alex's son. Yeah, who's Alex's son. So they, they do cheat death, both by skipping the order as they're trying to do throughout the movie and also because they've created new life mm. which it's it's like a really stupid ending but honestly so is the actual ending of the movie like the, the real <laughs> ending they just they just change the rules in the last minute is how the actual ending goes it makes no sense like oh what if it didn't really skip you six months later like yeah no it yeah. doesn't make any sense what i, I wonder <laughs> what what are the rules to this thing right because it starts killing yeah. them i think it's 40 days later um 39 yeah. or 40 days later before the first person dies who skipped death in the plane and then at the end of the film it's six months later and then it kills one of the characters yeah why not I, just yeah. wait 60 years yeah, and, and, and but it's also like it waits 40 days and then it is relentless and it's like every second mm-hmm. has to murder them. I That was a big question for me about the rules of this movie and the conclusion I came to was that it can only happen when they're all together again. You know, the scene where Alex and mm. is it Claire or is it clear? I know it's spelled like clear, but is it Claire? Is it pronounced Claire? I, I have no idea. They, they I, I think they pronounce it both ways in the movie just because it's a stupid <laughs> name and they don't know how to pronounce it. <laughs> No okay, offense well, to our listener who is named Clear. Clear just Clear just David. unsubscribed and wrote a nasty review. The names in this movie are crazy. There's a Hitchcock. There's a Murnau. There's there's a Shrek. Like, what's their obsession with Nosferatu? <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, every, everyone's named after um, some horror icon, which is awesome. Is everyone or just those like random characters? No, most of them. Most of the survivors. Um, the, I think. All of the survivors. Only um, Alex Browning is not named after somebody. I don't know. Who, I don't think who's so. Clear Rivers named Claire after? Claire is also not named after somebody. Um, who's Carter Ca- named after? Carter is also not named after something, but who's Valerie Luton. Luton named after? Valerie Luton's named after Val Luton, um, who is an actor. Uh, Todd is named after a director. Billy Hitchcock, obviously Hitchcock. Yeah. Um, there's other random names. I don't have them written down. I think there's a George who's also named after somebody. Um, but going back to what I was saying, I think it only happens when they're all together. So there's a, the cafe scene where, um, Alex is explaining his theory to Claire for the first time. And then all of a sudden Valerie shows up and then all of a sudden Carter shows up and with Terry and all of a sudden Billy Hitchcock shows up and everyone just like shows up on this random street corner and intertwines with one another. And it's the most random fucking thing ever. But that's when Terry dies. Mm-hmm. And so I think it only happens when they're together. But they're not all there when Luden dies. But Alex was there? Alex was there. And not at first. He shows up halfway through. So so was Browning well, showing up. But uh, I, I, think, I think Devin's point is that to restart the cycle, they all have to get together. And then it restarts the cycle. Okay. Yeah. Right. But okay. it's also like, okay, is, is Carter... <laughs> Carter and then become friends at the end, which is funny. Because Carter's just like the biggest asshole imaginable. But at the end of the movie, when they get together six months later, is it implied they haven't been together that whole time? I feel like it kind of is. Like, it seems like Alex and Claire. Yeah, Alex and Claire are kind of a thing. I actually feel like the alternate ending makes more sense. But um, it's the execution sounds a little silly. It would have been cool if he beat death by being like, I'll just sacrifice myself in order to break the cycle. And then we beat death. I thought I think that's a cool way of doing it. I think just doing that, yeah. and that's how they win. Like, he just has to sacrifice himself. I kind of like the idea of the alternate ending at the same time. They're teenagers. It's kind of weird that they're having a, a just, like, pregnancy. Now we beat death. Woo, go teenage pregnancy. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's I like, mean, okay. I mean, I the whole relationship between <laughs> Alex and Claire is weird. They, like, kind of yeah. hint at it throughout the movie, but it isn't necessarily established ever. Like, even in the current ending, it's, it's really not, not 100% established. They hold hands. I kind of like it's, it. It's definitely it's definitely shown that they're dating in the current ending. But like when they got to, I just wrote down in my notes. I'm like, wait, were, were they supposed to be flirting this whole time? Right. They, they totally like, I, were I didn't, flirting. I didn't. The whole time. <laughs> it doesn't they, read like they're flirting. They were flirting they the just, whole time. The whole movie, they're giving each other looks. 
She's giving. They might just have bad chemistry. Yeah. No, I, I, I think they have decent chemistry in this movie. Actually, I, I really was not a big fan of Devin Sawa, but um, I feel like the two of them have like interesting chemistry because they're awkward characters. So it comes across mm-hmm. as like this awkward kind of romance. And what's nice about this movie is, as much as it follows a slasher formula, the sexuality is kind of just like, for the most part, stripped out, except for Carter and Terry. But even that is very superficial, and there, and there's no nudity whatsoever in this film, right? No. 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 Oh, should we also bring up, this was initially a, uh, a pitch for an X-Files. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So it was an X-Files episode that was later, um, it was James Wong, right? He, uh, his friend and him got together and were like, we're going to make a feature out of this. And they, they took out the X-Files aspect, which is cool. I mean, it probably would have been in cool X-Files too. I like the X-Files, but I like this movie. Yeah, I love this movie. I love this series. I think it was a really smart move on their end. Hmm. Um, I have a theory to pitch. Okay. So I'm wondering if Alex brought upon this death in the first place. The very first scene that we see with Alex is he, his mom brings in the suitcase and it has a previous flight tag on it. And he says, no, don't cut that off. He thinks that if you cut it off, then the plane will fall. But if you keep it on and the last plane didn't fall, that it'll it'll keep him safe. But the mom cuts it off anyway. Mm. So does that action then start like bring about death and therefore does like is alex always like pretty much the harbinger of death i mean when he goes to luton that's when she dies when they go to paris and he starts thinking about death again that's when carter dies it seems like they hadn't talked about it in a really long time and maybe that's the six month hole Hmm. i think there's a really sad way to read this movie where alex is just like spiraling out of control and actually killing people and that Mm. the death stuff is in his head Mm. i Mm. think that that is absolutely a possible read of the movie and that todd did actually kill himself Mm. that's an interesting read i was thinking more along devon's line that's kind of interesting if he kind of has some sort of supernatural curse and that he's bringing on this kind of depth thing and that what he's doing is seeing into his own curse. But, uh, well, it's kind of weird. Okay, I have a problem with Tony Todd's character. Because, like, Tony Todd's also always awesome. I don't. I think Tony but, Todd's the best part of the movie. Go yeah, on. he's not. Because it's they, they walk into the morgue to find out and look at this thing. And then out of nowhere, this character, who never shows up again in the movie, the mortician shows up, knows exactly what's going on, and explains to them what's happening and how to beat it. Just verbatim. Because he's just totally aware of this thing. It's just a complete... Just plot device exposition. Guy walks in. The only cool thing is it's Tony Todd, and he's he's good. He's really good at monologuing. <laughs> yeah, and he looks no, scary. I totally agree with Rob here. It's a stupid scene. It's a character that's only. I mean, well, again, disregarding the sequels, he only appears in this fucking scene to be ex- expositional. Yeah, but that scene is killer. Mostly because it's Tony Todd, but also the exposition that they give and the way that they make that character so creepy. Why do they even go to the morgue in the first place? I don't understand. They're like, let me go see Todd's dead body. Why do you want to see Todd's dead body? I understand that. They they think by touching him, they'll get uh, uh, psychic reads or something. It really makes no sense when they're going in there. No, I think that does make sense. And Allie Lauder is all like, oh yeah, this gives me a rush. It's really weird. Um, It makes no sense at all. It completely makes sense. It's nonsense, David. It makes perfect sense. They're they're young kids who are like thrill seeking. All their friends died, and their friend just died, so they want to go check it out. I mean, kids do that in real life all the time. No, sneak into the morgue. What? No. Did you do that as a kid? No, but I know kids who've done shit like you can't do that anymore. Sneak into the morgue. Yeah, that's how the beginning of Better Call Saul started out. Reanimator. No, but it's happened. <laughs> like, like this. This is the type of thing high school students would do. Would break into something. No, especially if they're I don't, slow. No, I, I would not want to go see my dead friend. No, well, especially when I that? think no that I'm that. the reason that they killed themselves. No, no, he doesn't think he's the reason he killed himself. He doesn't. And like, he also has had these like ESP things happen and these premonitions. So he's like, maybe I can spark it that way, which makes sense. You don't think that makes sense? Maybe I wasn't paying attention. Yeah. I don't know. And in fact, it, it works. The way it works is stupid because they just get there and, uh, you know, an exposition character walks in. Just an info dump also, walks in the room. this is a slasher trope. This is just the harbinger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the harbinger shows up. Yeah. Yeah. He's the harbinger. Yeah, but he doesn't make sense. You know the harbinger in like Pet Cemetery? That makes sense. It, it's the old guy who lived in the town and seen this happen before. Makes oh, perfect neighbor, sense, yeah. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That makes that's a good harbinger. This is a terrible harbinger. He just shows up as an info dump, 
and but I, it's also the mystery of his character. It's like, who is he? What's his backstory? Like, you want to know more about him. It's it's interesting. And why does he know the rules of death? I mean, he literally Maybe states the rules. Maybe he is death. I mean, Ooh. that's a popular theory, I think. Yeah. Oh, really? I, that makes I, I, sense. I've heard that before, that Tony Todd literally is death. Oh, and he's saying, you just can't escape me? Yeah, because otherwise, what fun is it to death just to kill these people unless they're trying to escape? Unless they try to cheat death. If they were going with that road, then they would have to show Tony Todd behind the scenes again later in the film to be like, this is the Grim Reaper, right? But he just shows up in one scene as an info dump. It could have, it would have been more interesting if there was a conversation with the mortician and then he came up with these ideas on the spot and was like speculating. Right. But he just comes in and explains to them what happened. And also Alex is just like, okay, that's what happened. And then that, that just changes the direction of the movie. And there's like, no, or who's this? He doesn't even ask who the guy is. He just he just takes what he says for granted. It's so right. silly. <laughs> well, it's kind of interesting because it's all these things that kind of set in motion or are already setting in motion the inevitable fate that our characters get to. They have to d- uncover those rules in order to die. No, but they have to uncover those rules to try and cheat death, which he cheats death a few different times in order in the to movie. die. Well, the idea is he was supposed to die, right? And then um, he has some sort of divine revelation, like his his angel on his shoulder, if you want to say that. His guardian yeah. angel comes in and gives him gives him a glimpse of the future so he can cheat death. Then death's pissed off, right? And death wants to yeah, recycle. Yeah, it's also it. never shown where he gets his vision from. Yeah, yes. I think that's interesting. That's also never explained. Yeah, de- yeah. And it seems like he's never had it before. Yeah, yep. it does seem like that. that. Absolutely. That's why I looked at it as his guardian angel gave him a, a you know divine intervention type thing. Which also reads into the theory, because we don't know where it came from, that reads into the theory that uh, it's in his head and that he's actually killing people or whatever. Yeah. I think that he lives in an alternate timeline. Pitch us your theory, Devin. <laughs> yes. So there is this theory called quantum suicide or quantum immortality, mm. which is essentially we all die several times. Every decision that can ultimately lead to death has been done. And it's essentially Schrodinger's cat where whatever can happen has happened or will happen. And so every time we die, our soul just jumps into the closest timeline where we're living, but there's still remnants of the other timeline. So one could say the premonition is actually one timeline And then Alex's energy jumps into a timeline where he actually survives. And I think this is kind of related to throughout. Again, I'm disregarding all the sequels here. We see a lot of foreshadowing imagery throughout the film that Mm. um, predicts the other's deaths. On the plane, Todd makes a motion of strangling himself as a a joke. You know, dude, kill me. I'm not going to sit next to this girl. Terry in the terminal, there's an image of a bus behind her, and later on, she dies from a bus. Mm -hmm. Um, This is seen throughout. Those are the two that I I really remember. But one could say that then in this timeline, we already know the future, and perhaps we're jumping into other timelines throughout. Okay. And then when Claire and Alex are on the beach, and they're talking about Claire's past with her father dying, she says maybe there is you know, a universe or maybe the plane really is up there with all of our friends are still alive and basically presents this idea of a different universe. And then they cut away to Alex looking up the sky and there's a plane flying through the stars. You can see it, it's flying. So then does that mean that then that other universe where they're all alive and they're all fine, that they were literally just talking about, does that exist? Hmm. Is this a world where all the timelines are like kind of intersected? That's really interesting, but I don't agree with it at all, because why would death be angry jumping from from timeline to timeline? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It, that, that's, I think, the problem with the... I think Final Destination goes against that theory. Yeah. It says you can't keep surviving in these other timelines. If you're going to die, you are going to die. You cannot escape this fate. That it, it, yeah. I mean, I think it's completely wacky regardless. I think predestination is absurd. Um, <laughs> I, I, I actually, I, I disagree. I'm, I'm kind of a determinist. I think that there, there's a little, bit I'm of also a determinist, but determinism is not fate. Determinism is distinctly different than fate. Mm, I don't, I don't think so. Exactly. I mean, like, could you define, yeah. Could you define de- right. determination? De- determinism on like a, a philosophical level is that every single cause has a predetermined effect. So that from the inception of time, you know, the big bang that, uh, the chronology of like effects following each causes, 
is predetermined per se. Like it hasn't happened yet. There's no way of viewing it. But if you could view the totality of all causes, then you could potentially predict all effects perfectly. Right. Mm -hmm. And this isn't just a philosophical theory. This is also a theory of physics. Um, Albert Einstein was a big fan of this. Uh, Quantum physics does throw a small wrench into it, but not really. Uh, this that's actually where Albert Einstein has a famous quote where he said, uh, "God does not play dice with the universe." Mm-hmm. To which Niels Bohr has a slightly less famous quote where he said, "Einstein, stop telling God what to do." <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty great. This is also, well, interestingly enough, there's there's actually a theory of God called the cosmological argument that plays directly into this. Well, like, well, what caused the first cause? That has to be mm. God, right? which is an argument. And some physicists yep. actually abide by this, that whatever preceded the first cause, more or less whatever affected it, the effect without a cause, the first effect would have to be a divine entity of some sort. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't believe in God, but I don't necessarily think that physics uh, makes God not exist. I, I don't think physics and God necessarily have to not exist together. I think they can easily I think God and physics can coexist, Mm. is what I'm trying to say. Right, right, right. (laughs) So when you guys discuss God, can God also be death? Uh, Yes. Death in the context of this movie, I think absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, like like is death um, God in the context of this movie? Is Uh, there a God in this movie at all? I mean, Rob, you were saying he has maybe a guardian angel. We don't know. But the only presence that we see is malevolent yeah yeah well i mean we see the other president which is the divine premonition i mean that it's not necessarily a presence but but there is some sort of divine intervention right but that could also be death just fucking with alex like what if death does that he's like no or i'm sorry i gendered death what death is just like i'm just gonna have a little bit of fun (laughs) oh god don't gender death oh no That was great. Oh man, oh, um, we just got canceled. Yeah, death I mean, is a woman. We, we just got canceled, bro. I mean, we we d- we do have a clear saying she would like to fuck death, so there is that. Did she yeah. really? <laughs> well, she said fuck death. I'm I'm making a joke, but oh yeah, it's actually yeah. it's I think the coolest ballsiest line of movie. Clear has her whole monologue about how her father died, and she ends this monologue with just saying like. If, if this is death's design, then fuck death. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, holy shit, that's awesome. And if we're saying that death is kind of God, then she's also kind of saying fuck God. And mm-hmm. I, I love it. It's like, because whenever this stuff happens to people, there's always someone who's like, oh, well, it, it's all it's all meant to be. It's all part of God's plan. And like, you should feel better because of that. And it is basically just flying in the face of that and saying like, I, I don't give a shit. It, yeah. It, it's saying uh, everything may happen for a reason, but that doesn't mean that the reason is something that is good. Right. And I don't have to like the reason. And fuck you for telling me that. Yeah. 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 That's I, very I mean, fair. Yeah. This definitely is a movie about wrestling with fate or, or even wrestling with determinism, if you want to describe it in those type of terms. Um, I, yeah. I think it's hard to the movie doesn't give us enough to say whether or not God is death or it's a separate entity or supernatural force, but to describe it as a God of death, I mean, something that with supernatural powers that plays with human life with a complexity, you could definitely say that this is the characters warring with the God of death. So like you could look at it as like in like polytheistic terms. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it works better. They don't strictly define it. Um, I, 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 I agree because that does make it more about just the laws of the universe rather than any specific entity. That's why Tony Todd's right. character is fucking yeah. stupid, because by him defining it, they break the rules. <laughs> the other part that is really fucking stupid, the, the follow-up scene when uh, Alex breaks the code, and he's just like on TV, and he's like, wait a minute, and he starts drawing lines. He's like, I figured out death. It's just, he figured out the complex <laughs> thing in like five seconds from watching the news. And I'm like, that's ridiculous, man. That was... But I mean, I don't know. The concept's ridiculous, so why not just make it silly? That actually bothers me less. The info dump. The concept is ridiculous, but I think that it's it, it hits on really interesting topics. Like it, yeah. Pe- people think of this movie as like some stupid movie from two thousands, like just mindless entertainment, and it it kind of is. But at the same time, it, it's actually like has a lot to say. I I read this movie heavily as being a metaphor 
sort of a metaphor, sort of just explicitly for post-traumatic stress disorder and specifically survivor's guilt. Mm -hmm. That we are looking at the seven people who survived this mass tragedy that killed almost 300 others. And they are wrestling with the fact that they survived. And they all deal with it in separate ways, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Alex yeah. and Clear are trying to take control of death. They're, 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 they're trying to say we can control our fate. Carter is completely terrified by the idea that he doesn't have control. So he blames it all on Alex. Mm. Uh, he is shown to be suicidal. Todd may not literally kill himself, but I think that his death can be taken as a metaphor for him killing himself. Yeah, and uh, in the original script, yeah. I think he did actually commit suicide. Oh wow! You know what? You know what's funny? There's really only one character that handles it in a healthy way, and that's uh, Billy. Yeah, you're probably going to say this. Yeah. Billy handles it in the healthiest way. He just starts going about his day. It's only when the other characters go in there and they they try to get this idea of really survivor's guilt i think you described it perfectly yeah that they were meant to die and they're living on borrowed time yes yeah. i agree billy basically he he embraces alex as a prophetic savior which mm-hmm. i mean i don't know if that's really healthy like it's kind of putting a lot of pressure on alex um but it's almost like he's turning to religion but not really terry he, is, he doesn't does handle do it Can we stick on all? billy for a second because i think billy okay, is great, kind great, of great. an interesting character it's um i love Billy. yeah he does he does talk to alex as kind of like a prophetic thing but only when he sees him he doesn't change his daily routine to do that he just kind of accepts yeah. this right. as like oh this has happened in my life let let's continue after the fact like he's really shaken up but then we see him delivering papers and stuff like even if it bothers him he doesn't let it totally change his daily routine I think right. he's still dealing with these problems. But, you know, Carter becomes more of a loose cannon. The The teacher, yeah. she quits her job and is moving. Oh like, she God. has to completely upturn so her life. For her. Yeah. And then Claire seems to be handling it better than Alex. But Alex is just going crazy over it, right? Alex is spiraling out of control. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's, like, the scene where he safeties everything in his room. And he's, like, screaming at death. And like, I mean, we know that he's right in the context of the movie, but he looks like, like he's becoming a recluse. He, he mm-hmm. he's locking himself in his room. He's taking it way too far. He he can't live his life essentially. Mm. It, it, and that's exactly it. I think when you start worrying about death, then you stop living life, right? And that's something that they say yes. repetitively throughout this film, as well as our next film. Let's take a break right here to hear a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Chris Anderson, but if you went to high school with me, you can call me Shibby. And I'm Ethan Sereski. And we want to tell you about our show, Uncle Monster's Spooky Time Fright Hour, the best podcast you've never heard of. We know this is true statistically because we don't have very many listeners. But what we do have is a ton of hilarious episodes about all manner of creepy monsters, horrifying cryptids, and supernatural phenomenon. So if you've ever wondered about the origin of the mysterious Beast of Gavadon. Or if Prime Shaquille O'Neal could take the Chupacabra in a fist fight. Or if the Bermuda Triangle has the capacity to love. Tune in and find out. Just remember, don't don't get get spooked. spooked. Uncle Monster's Spooky Time Fright Hour. Available now on all preferred podcast platforms. Now, now we're back from our commercial break, and we're going to talk about our second film, which takes a different stance on the idea of deadly premonition. David, why don't you give us the rundown? Johnny Smith's life is only just beginning when he finds himself in a near-fatal car crash. Five years later, he emerges from his coma in a surreal, changed world. His teaching job is gone, his girlfriend is married to another man, and he has gained the psychic ability to see things in people's past, present, and future. But there's a blind spot in these visions, a suggestion that maybe, just maybe, the future can be changed. The dead zone, if you will. Directed by David Cronenberg, adapting a Stephen King novel by the same name. Um, yeah, David, that was that was an awesome intro. Uh, that was really awesome, actually. I, I love this movie. I think it's great. I this is probably the third time I'd seen it. I hadn't seen it in a very long time, though. You're a Cronenberg super fan, right? I am, but th- this is not really a Cronenberg movie, right? No. In, in like the traditional sense, this is Cronenberg stepping out of his element in a, in a way, right? But his direction is so good. He he, it's he's really subtle. He takes 
all of these crazy concepts that you would think are going to be genre like Final Destination shoots all of its stuff so ridiculously and over the top and with Dead Zone Cronenberg is just like it just happens it's just it's it's very it's very natural yeah Yeah, but that feels very reminiscent of King also Mm. yeah and I also think it helps because the most interesting parts of the movie are when it's just like two people talking it is it is and Mm -hmm. uh well I think Cronenberg deals with different philosophical issues in in his more personal films you know they usually yep. deal with like the du- duality of of man and like beast and, and how we deal with that in light of there not being a god because Cronenberg has like famously called himself an atheist and he seems like strictly against the idea of a god and i think this film does play with that idea sort of because Christopher Walken's character has the ability to defy fate right yep yeah and I think one of the most interesting things along those lines is uh, Dr. Wiesak. Am I saying that right? When, when Walken gets a vision for him, he says, your mother is still alive. This is where she lives. This is her. He's able to look her up in the yellow pages and call her. But he doesn't speak to her. Mm-hmm. And oh. Walken's like, what? why didn't you talk to her? And he's like, I don't think it was meant to be. He literally says, I do not believe that your powers were meant to be. Mm-hmm. Right. I love that moment so much. <laughs> it, and and throughout the film, they have characters reacting differently to his powers, right? Um, obviously, yep. the press is like really excited about it. Some of them doubt him, use him as a, a as a sideshow. The sheriff is like, you're a tool for good. Um, the mother of the serial killer is like, you're the devil. You right. know, everyone yes. has a different viewpoint of what this power can bring about. And I think it, it has us also questioning like, would we want this power? Is this power meant for good? And I think it also pushes Johnny to start thinking about, you know, is he is he good or is he evil? And if he uses it at all, is he good or is he evil? Well, there's a very clear ramification to, like, the use of his powers. You could argue that yeah. his powers killed his mother. I mean, when he starts mm-hmm. having the powers, her health degenerates very quickly. Oh, that's interesting. Remember, there's that fantastic scene because Wiesel wants to study this thing, right? Although... It seems like he's a man of faith, but he's also a man of science. So he's this guy in this kind of like constant conflict with himself. Like, you can't affect my life. I want to live this like naturalistic existence, but I'm going to throw you on the sideshow and we got to figure this thing out at the same time. And he supports Johnny throughout the entire process. He's like, we have to study this. We have to monitor this. I have to take care of you. I'm worried about you years later, making sure that you, your body isn't deteriorating. He researches it too. He also kind of treats him like a lab rat, right? Like he wants him to go into mm-hmm. the lab and he starts putting him on display. And when he puts him on display, the reporter comes up and is like, well, prove it. I'm going to touch you. And Johnny freaks him out by touching me. He's like, what do you want me to prove? Your, your sister's suicide and all this other crazy stuff. And he's like, Ugh. and his mother, Johnny's mother just can't really handle that. And I think the next scene she's dying, right? Right after yeah, that. Yeah, she watches that on TV and I think it causes a heart attack unclear so what's interesting to me about the way that he experiences these visions is that it's 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 also really painful on him they say as the spells go stronger and more powerful your body will weaken uh he says when the spells come it feels like i'm dying inside Hmm. and even tying back into like the ptsd and survivor's guilt from final destination Dead Zone doesn't get into it as much. It's not like the main point of the movie, but does still address it. When he's watching, uh, he has a vision of a serial killer murdering a woman. He's trying to discover the guy's identity. Then he comes out of it and he says, it's Dodd. Dodd did it. And then he says, I stood right there. I did mm-hmm. nothing. Yeah. Which is like, well, he couldn't have, obviously. You can't change the past. He's experiencing a vision. He can't interact with it. But he feels guilty for not saving the woman who he sees in this vision of the past yeah it's really interesting because we don't see him interact that way with most of his visions until until that moment and then he has guilt i mean especially when when stillman the politician who um is running for senator yeah and he has the premonition that um he will eventually cause the nuclear warhead he feels guilty for that before it's even happened yeah, yeah. It's kind of weird. The rules of his dead zone seem to change, right, at times. Like, there's certain times where he feels like he's having an out-of-body experience and he's there. And there are other times where he feels like he's having an in-body experience and he's there. Like, as, yeah. for instance, when he sees the uh, the murder, he, he sees his own body there. Like, he's there. Whereas 
when he sees the uh, hospital nurse's daughter in the burning house, he just sees the burning house, right? I mean, yeah, his spills grow more powerful, they say, so I think that that's intentional. He also doesn't see the future until, like, halfway through the movie. I think it's it's when he sees kids falling into the thin ice that's the first time he sees the future, unless I'm wrong. I could be wrong. Yeah, that's when when he starts talking about it as the dead zone, and uh, the doctor speculates that he can change the future. And uh, he, yep. he actually tests it and he does. It's also when he gets into, you know, the philosophical debate of what would you do if uh, you could go back in time and kill Hitler? Yeah. yeah, I'm so curious just asking this question to you guys. Would you would if you could, if you could be in a room and hold a gun to Hitler in the past before anything happened, would you? OK, uh, let's let's make it more difficult. Hitler's baby, baby Hitler. I mean, I'm a pacifist, so I would bring someone else to do it instead. <laughs> gotta uh, find those loopholes <laughs> I, w- I would do it well the doctor has a really good answer he's like i mean obviously like philosophically you have to say yes otherwise just based on judgment how people are going to judge you you have to say yes and that's what the doctor says he's like well of course but when he says yes i'll do it johnny says but you'll never get away alive and the doctor says doesn't matter i would still kill him right Yep. But what's interesting is philosophically, you don't have to say yes, right? The, the idea is socially, you have to answer the question with a positive. No, you don't. Because you can also take the uh, stance of, I'm not God, I shouldn't be meddling with time. It's not my place. Yeah, and I think that's that's a lot of what this movie questions too as well, right? Like, should Johnny ever intervene or interfere? And that ultimately leads to the bigger question, I guess, not necessarily the bigger, maybe an equally as evil situation with stillman of like do i do or yeah. not stop him from destroying mm. the world and even bringing that back to the survivor guilt with the serial killer like yeah he couldn't have done anything in that moment but also he refused to help earlier right and if he had helped earlier that girl might have been still been alive i think when he was standing there yeah. that's kind of what he was saying i think you hit it right on the yep. head there david and then with the thin ice he's able to save some of the kids but not all of them because people don't listen to him mm-hmm. and you have like the last shot on the Stuart guy who didn't believe him and you just see him like just sitting in this regret that he knew he should have listened to johnny and didn't so I think the, the question about Hitler and Stillman, um, which are obviously the big morality questions of, of this film, lies in a lot of the characters as well. Like I was saying, everyone reacts differently to Johnny's gift. I think we can talk a lot about like evil versus good in all of the characters. I mean, we literally have a politician being one of the main characters and everyone's, you know, politicians are known for not being truthful. The cop is a serial killer. That's not a truthful, honest position of his um johnny is really the only one that literally sees the truth and knows the truth and lives by the truth Mm. yeah there's a lot of criticism of authority figures in this movie a whole lot actually just a total distrust for politicians even his uh friend Stuart is uh displayed as two-faced you know yes absolutely he walks greg stilson outside of the house and just immediately starts talking shit about the guy Yes. But he also has some like serious insight about him and goes, you know, he foreshadows you got to watch out for this guy. Right? right. And the way the guy handles himself is, you know, he's got this like populist bravado about him. Right. This I'm a tough guy, but I'm going to have a meltdown like a little kid anytime anything goes wrong, which watching the movie in today's political climate is very interesting. Stephen King agrees with you. He himself has gone on record saying that, like, yeah, Trump is kind of a Greg Stilson. Yeah. Good thing he's yeah. not more than kind of has been at least proven in the last four years, right? Yeah, at least he failed to start a nuclear war. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Well, yeah. He, he, so does I, Johnny I think Smith live to. on our timeline? Does he live on our timeline? Did he stop that from happening? What if we live in a world where there Johnny Smith many, actually exists? many, people named John Smith. It is a very common name. David Cronenberg actually wanted to change the character's name, and he wasn't allowed to. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> so funny. King is so much about, you know his main characters being everyday men primarily. Um, but he writes himself into every single character. I mean, this guy's an English teacher. The woman that he falls in love yep. with is an English te- or is a teacher rather, um, just like Stephen King and his wife. Um, and he, he's just constantly writing himself into his characters. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's actually important that he's a teacher. I mean, the, with the whole thing with Roger Stewart and his son is that, um, this kid who, who is just like, in a shell they, they they don't really describe him anyway i 
I took it like he might be autistic, but I don't want to diagnose him. Um, yeah. And they make it clear that, like, there's nothing wrong with this kid. Mm-hmm. Like, he's just... It's it's his father. He he says it's my father who's has something wrong that he he won't just accept this. Right. And the uh uh Johnny goes. He's like, I don't know how to help you. Like, what what are my visions gonna do? It's like, oh no, this isn't about using your visions. It's just about being a teacher. It's about being right. a good person. It's about living a truthful yep. life. It's about living a good life. And I mean, that's something else. And and not to compare it to Final Destination too early, but um you know, we see Johnny becoming a recluse and not living life to its fullest. We do. I actually think this movie fits your uh, quantum theory a lot more, Devin. Ooh, do Um, tell. Yeah, I agree. The movie starts off where he's in a near-death experience. So going off your theory, um, he died in one timeline and he wakes up in this bizarro alternate timeline Mm -hmm. where everything is different and his life is much worse. And every time he reaches back into another timeline, it's one in which he died. So he's becoming inching closer towards death by using that power. Which is why he can change the future, because it will just create a different timeline or jump into a different Mm -hmm. timeline. Mm -hmm. Doesn't that also suck? Because that means that he didn't actually stop Greg. Right. And that's the theory is that everything that we've ever thought of or ever done has or will happen. Yeah, that means so, he doesn't actually change anything according to that theory, which I think defeats the purpose of the movie. No, not necessarily. I don't think it defeats the purpose of the movie because he changed one timeline. I mean, just because there's a lot of them doesn't mean it has no, less he just, value. He just jumped into a different timeline. He didn't He didn't change anything according well, if to he, that if theory. He's, if he's looking towards the future, right, and like yeah. changing the timeline, um, it also kind of breaks down because he doesn't only look towards the future. Like if it was, just, if it was like the Rick and Morty episode where he has like, the controller where he can just change timelines, yeah. but he dies, right? He just jumps. Yeah. Uh, th- what does that have to do with looking into the past and telling you something about the present? That seems yeah. to be some sort of other power, right? Right, but it also um, changes the future, or rather changes the present. By him telling the doctor that his mother's still alive, it changes the timeline already. And right. like the doctor says, you know, essentially the doctor's saying, if I call my mother and talk to her right now, then that changes the timeline again. It changes like mm-hmm. what's meant to be on this timeline. But he already knows about it, so the timeline's already changed. The way I see it is that the movie has this kind of like afterlife appeal that when you die, you, you have access to this to this knowledge, right? And via his almost dying, what he's doing is he's getting the access to something that is dead. That's a deathly power. The supernatural ghosts kind of have. So then every time he does that, it sucks the life out of him. Yeah, the doctor specifically says you either have a new human power or a very old one. Mm-hmm. I love that line. Mm-hmm. It's so yeah. great. It's interesting, though, also because I know that in the book he has a tumor and that's explicitly dis- explained. In mm. the movie, it kind of plays as though he just gets his powers from the accident, which maybe that's related to the tumor. I'm not sure. But I also kind of read the movie as though he always had that power. Right. just awakens as he gets older. Because he's still getting the headaches. He gets the headaches before the accident. Yeah. They make it very, very clear that he has some sort of like spell going on in his head. Um, Otherwise, why even have those scenes in the movie? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also that he's not the only one who's ever had this power because the doctor goes back and he finds other people have had it in the past. That's how he learns things about it. So... It seems like some people have this innate ability that needs to be awakened, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Or doesn't need to be, according to Wezak. Right. I have two things to say on Stilson real fast. Number one, I do not believe that he would have killed himself. I think that is, re- like, no. Agreed. He would not have done that. He is not that person. Agreed. I think he would have. And number two, I love that Martin Sheen is playing his son. Okay, I literally wrote down in my notes, I was like, so Martin Sheen just did a line of coke before every single shot, right? Like, that's exactly what he did. <laughs> he reads uh, so much like Charlie Sheen. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. crazy. I, I don't think I've seen a film with him this young in it. And he, yeah, he reminded me so much of Charlie Sheen. Yeah. yeah. No, it's a great dude, performance. I, yeah, really wonderful. I definitely think he would have killed himself. I think that makes perfect sense. Because, like, historically, a lot of leaders, uh, when they lose a famous battle or whatever, they kill themselves. So yeah, this is an election. This, like, yeah, yeah, but this guy <laughs> had, like, battle. unshakable faith, right? And he also got, his entire image got destroyed. I mean, he literally held a baby as a human shield. His political life is destroyed. There's no coming back And maybe no that's the saddest that. thing of this movie, is that if Trump did that, he still would have been elected. I don't know about that. <laughs> My last thing was... um. 
This movie's fucking produced by Deborah Hill. Fucking shout Yay. out. Yay. <laughs> horror icon. Un- unsung horror hero. So um, we're at a good place now where we can compare these two movies. I, I mean, what what do you guys think these each of these films say about Premonition? Uh, to me, I think of it, Final Destination it takes a much more pessimistic look and how we're kind of, as much as we try, we can't escape our fate. Whereas The Dead Zone thinks that we can supersede determinism and we have a free will and a, a, like a moral obligation to use the free will. I don't think Dead Zone's optimistic at all. I, I, I think it... It, it's so brutal on him. It, it fucking destroys him every time he gets a premonition. People are asking him to do stuff, and he just, like, has a closet full of mail from people asking him to help them, and he won't because he's like, I can't do this. I'm not capable of changing everything. It's really nihilistic. Um, he does eventually do one great thing in stopping Stilson, but that literally kills him. Well, I mean, I think you're conflating idealistic with optimistic because it's not a, an ideal world. Like, there's a lot of problems with everything, but he helps a lot of people. I mean, he helps a kid through uh, his problem with his shell. He saves that same kid's life. He prevents a serial killer from killing more people, potentially. But when he's helping the kid, he's doing it by teaching, not by his premonitions. And then when his premonition comes and he has to do this other thing instead, it ruins that relationship and he's no longer able to be the kid's teacher. Yeah, that's a really good point. The The image that you brought up, David, which I love, is the stack of mail in his closet. He says, you know, all these people want the same thing, reassurance, help, love, things I can't give them. And I think he's right. You know, he can give all those things that people do want through his teaching, through just living his life. Mm-hmm. But with his power comes something more malevolent again i will use that word right yeah but he, but well, he that's wants that's his... when he's not using his power because right. what happens immediately after that is he starts using his power and changing the world for the better in fact he saves the world right that is true it also yeah, says but it ruins his life <laughs> does it ruin his life or does it give his life more purpose it gives his life meaning yeah and it also says with responsibility there's a heavy price to be paid but it's worth it because the end he gets to say what he really felt to the true love of his life and to hear her with say it to great him great power comes great responsibility i was waiting for david to chime in there with moral responsibility comes moral sacrifice right and this movie is about he has to sacrifice something to do something great well i think they they both are about sacrifice no in final destination every time that you want to cheat death you have to save the person or sacrifice yourself right well yeah at the end you have to sacrifice yourself to beat death right but it ultimately doesn't work right yeah because they changed the rules at the last minute (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. but 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 that film takes like an actual pessimistic stance towards free will because once you get stuck in the quicksand of fate, you you can't escape it. You can only stall it, right? But the dead zone, the whole point is that you have this ability to change things for the better, and you're actually, despite the sacrifice, you must make. You're morally obligated to do so. Oh, and Stilson also talks about responsibility. He says, "I had a vision that I'm going to be president of the United States." And I have accepted that responsibility. And nobody, I mean nobody, is going to stop me. Right, yeah. right. And it takes the divine presence to kind of stop him. Yeah, it's it's almost like visions of altruism versus visions of uh, egoism, right? Because mm-hmm. Stilson's just a completely egoistic mess, right? Yeah. Highly delusional. Whereas, you know, uh, Christopher Walken, he, he's in serious conflict with his own visions. He doesn't quite accept them. He doesn't want yeah. to accept them. He sees it right. as a curse. But it's, it's you know? not... We don't a, have... It's, it's altruism. That... It's not a divine intervention, though. It's just Johnny. It's just Johnny being a human. And I think the quote that you pulled, David, too, is, again, giving Stilson the power of, I chose this. I have power over my future. Yeah. Throughout the film, there's all these little... It's so well written. I love it. Um, All these little lines that... You know, I saw her coming. Like, I know I'm going to marry you. Like, all these things that show that humans I know. I know. know. <laughs> but he doesn't. He doesn't get those things that he wants. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, it's not just what the, it's not just that he wants them. It's that, and this isn't just just Johnny. It's every character throughout the story. It's not that he just wants them. He says they are going to happen. Everyone says they are going to happen. This is happening. We have control mm. over the universe right now, and there really is no divine intervention. It's the power of the human will. Mm, so that's what I wrote the moment yeah. I finished the movie was, yeah, it's all about fate. You can change fate, but not really. He couldn't change his girlfriend leaving him. He couldn't get his job back. He's basically dead from the beginning of the movie. He's literally the dead zone. Oh, that's good. 
Yeah. That's good. See, I, I don't think it says that about fate. What I think it says is that fate doesn't exist and that there's a lot of chance of things and we have the ability to change things, but we can't have full control over the complex nature of the universe, right? Yes. I think we're, we're essentially saying like kind of the same thing where like in the end, the humans have the control. Yeah. yeah. But in Final Destination, it seems like the humans don't have the control. Exactly. Right? Because there is that's, the that's divine presence the of death. Right. So actually, I, you, I, you might have swayed me, Devin, when you said that it's rather than a divine presence, it's just human free will. I think that is a better actually reading interpretation of the movie. So it's using premonition to adjust free will, whereas Final Destination is everything's determined by. Pre, predetermined, yeah. right. But you're saying like it's not all the other characters, like the main bad guy is the one who has a premonition. But then the guy yeah. who fights with his own moral compass is the one who changes that premonition. Right, he's fighting against the inevitable force. So I have a question, and this might affect that read. Do you guys think that Stilson actually had a vision? <laughs> no. I read it as a delusion. Yeah, delusion. Yeah. I read it as a delusion, yeah. But how do you know the difference? Because he's right. He is going to be president of the United States someday until Walken stops him. It's, right. His vision is supposed to come true. Right, it's a power of will. Does he will it into existence then? I think so. But then yeah. that means that he has the power. But then also this goes back to my original idea with Final Destination, where in Alex brings about death, he wills it into existence because he believes that the plane may fall from the sky. Hmm. I still don't read it that way. But yeah, I, I don't. I, I, I get it, but I don't. I think it's I don't, fun. I don't read it that way. If any of our <laughs> listeners agree with me, please tweet at us. <laughs> I want to know. I, I I disagree with you, but I think it's an interesting read. Yeah, I think it's possible. It's just kind of a stretch. So, what do you guys think? Can you change fate? Do you believe in fate? I think Rob uh, and I don't. <laughs> uh, well, no. I mean, I I believe in. At times, I feel like a determinist. So, I I think fate and determinism are the, pretty much the same. No, I think they're complete opposites. I don't. I don't know how you think they're complete opposites because both mean that something predetermined is going to happen and it's because unchangeable. The difference is that to me, fate is that it's a divine entity deciding what is going to happen, mm. and I don't read be, that into fate. That is what fate is. It is a divine hand creating what's happening, and I don't think that's true at all. I. To me, yeah. determinism is that it's it's just the laws of physics will dictate what happens. Even with the quantum theory that like there are some random things on a quantum level, I think that's just stuff we don't understand yet. Um, and it might be a multiverse interpretation. The multiverse in actual physics is very different from multiverse pop culture. It's not the things that you choose create different universes. It's literally quantum particles are random. Mm. And that's just the universe dividing based on that. In which mm. case, mm. all of these different fates happen, but it's nothing, it, it's a bit different. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. It, it's, also, it's also a point of contention in the physics community. It is, because we don't yeah. have an explanation for it yet. But I think it will still play into, if we ever understand it, it will still play into a hard determinist viewpoint of reality. Or um, we'll right. will it into existence, because if we think it, therefore it is. But that's right. what I'm saying, I don't believe in free will. <laughs> Hmm. You see, but uh, I believe in free will, like practically. I mean, like I think practically, practically we, can't yes. act, we can't act without kind of free will. But do I kind of think that you can break down the human condition to like a strictly behavioral science if you had an infinite ability to compute? Like, let's say you had a universe sized yep. computer or a solar system sized computer to compute just my behavior. You probably wouldn't even need one nearly that big. You'd I probably need to be paper. way bigger. No, no, no. I, I've read a paper, actually. Simulation theory speculates that if you post-human society with a planet-sized computer could potentially compute all human interaction past and present. Mm. That's interesting. Um, yeah, but if you were to... I think you can break it down to, like, an absolute behavioral science. Maybe. I'm not really sure I about think that we can. either. Yeah, I'm not really sure about that. But I don't know if your definition of fate... I don't know the denotive definition of fate on hand, but connotatively, I don't read in the divine into the definition of fate. I think you can, but I think that would just be called like divine fate or something, mm -hmm. or you could speak of it that way. But I think in and of itself, fate and determinism are pretty much interchangeable. Fate implies divine presence. Fate implies everything happens for a reason. I don't know if fate implies everything happens for a reason. I think fate implies that it is predetermined. But not everything happens yeah. for a reason. Yeah. I think you read that into fate. 
I mean, like the Mumbarata says, the not of fate cannot be unbound. Right. right? Like everything will eventually happen. I think that's humans rationalizing fate. It's them having to feel comfortable when something bad happens. They're like, oh, well, this obviously had to happen for a reason versus this was meant to happen. I think they're saying two completely different things. And by the way, if you're one of the everything happens for a reason crowd, that's a great way to cope with your own grief. But don't say that to other people. It can be insulting. Everyone grieves in different ways. And I think that's something Final Destination does really well. Final Destination does a good job at tackling people's grief and showing that people grieve in different ways. Now we're entering my favorite portion of the show where we rate the films, the bone review section. It's on a one to four bone scale. And we're going to start with Devin. What do you think of these movies? All right. So starting with Final Destination, I really, really like this movie. And I want to thank Fallon for suggesting it because it was like a great watch. I hadn't seen it in like a decade. Um, I'm going to give this movie three bones. I think it's silly. It's so relevant of the turn of the millennium horror, um, which I'm a sucker for. I love those teen slashers, whether or not it's a slasher. Yeah, I just, I really, really enjoyed the crap out of this movie, and uh, it really terrifies me constantly, so three bones. And then for The Dead Zone, I really enjoyed this film as well. I think this was, like, such, this was the first time I really enjoyed both movies that we watched. Um, Well-written, Cronenberg, always a fan of, one of Walken's better performances, all the other performances fucking killed it. I really liked it. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say three. I'm gonna say three bones. What about you, David? So... Final Des- I agree with you on Final Destination so much. I-, I think there are problems with it. I think the ending is hokey and silly. And I like the directing of the death scenes, but I think that it's like too over the top in a lot of the other scenes. It- it's very in your face. The camera never stops moving. It's-, it's really annoying and distracting and it doesn't let you like get absorbed in the characters very much. Even though I actually think that their struggle is really interesting and real performances are fine they're fine they're good performances for the most part um especially tony todd who's the best part of the movie <laughs> um so i'm gonna i'm gonna give final destination three bones i i think that i i, I really enjoy it despite its flaws i think it's a lot of fun and surprisingly deep um <laughs> the dead zone i'm gonna piss people off <laughs> whoa i think the dead zone is really well made I think the directing is excellent. Um, Cronenberg is not given enough credit for how well he works with actors. And the performances he brings out are always fantastic. That That is one of the staples of a Cronenberg movie to me, is that it always has great acting. I find the story really meandering. Like, it tries to say too much, I think. It's funny because I, I saw the movie years ago and all that I remembered from it really was the Martin Sheen plot, the politician stuff. And like, I thought that was the entire movie and watched it again. I'm just like, what, what, pick a, pick a, pick a movie. What, what's their movie about? Is it about how the mom died? Is it about the girlfriend? Is it about the serial killer? What, what is your movie about? Stop. <laughs> <laughs> it's really meandering and I, I find it annoying. It, it's at its best when it's just a simple drama. I'm not sure if it's actually a horror movie or not. But regardless, I've been going back and forth between two and two and a half. I'm going to give it two. I, I, mm. I, I think it's it just doesn't grab me. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I, uh, parts of what you said, I actually agree with. Um, my bone review is very different. Um, so for Final Destination, I, I do like this movie. Uh, unfortunately, watching it again, I remembered liking it a lot more when I was younger. And not just for the novelty of it. Part of it is I think some of the performances are lacking. There's a lot of logical jumps in the movie, like plot holes and things. And it's an, it's an uglier movie than I remembered it being. It's much uglier than I remembered it being. And when I looked at the uh, budget, it was it was higher than I thought it would be. Although the special effects are really cool. Like, I think the special effects are good. And I actually, I really appreciate the set design in a lot of points. I didn't say this, except, except for... Uh, alex's room i feel like we never got to see him in his environment so there's certain questions about his character i'm like are unanswered whereas the rest of the characters i actually feel like are more fleshed out strange enough but i do really like the movie i think it's cool so i'm gonna give it two and a half bones i think it's a very solid horror movie that started a franchise for a reason and i think it's interesting for the dead zone 
David, you bring up a good point. It does feel slightly meandering at points, and I think that's just the nature of translating an entire book to a two-hour-plus movie or whatever. But for, for me, I, I don't mind that because I find the character interesting, and I like seeing his life's journey from when this inciting instance happens to where it takes him at the end. And I think I like that because the movie is really about... Uh, it brings up all these philosophical questions, but the plot line is surrounded around Johnny Smith and like how he deals with this thing, you know, this this insightful guy who thought he had his life all planned out and then he realized you can't really plan your life and things can change. This might be the first time ever. I'm going to agree with Devin. I'm going to give it three yes. bones. I, I, I'm i on the same page with her this week. I really like The Dead Zone. Uh, the only thing holding me back from maybe giving it a higher rating is it's been parodied so many times <laughs> that whenever he goes into the doing 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 from the dead zone thing i start giggling i can't help it i just start giggling because the family guy and snl and all that yeah any final thoughts friends yeah if you're listening to this please send us more ideas for movies that you want to see us cover in the future email us at cadaverdogspod at gmail.com and maybe we'll use one of your ideas in a future episode all right, everyone, thanks for listening this week. Send us your thoughts on determinism versus free will, on whether or not we can escape our inevitable fate. D- does fate have to deal with divinity, or is fate and determinism one and the same? As always, I'm Rob Basercha, and this has been a Cadaver Dogs podcast. My God, what a glorious day! <laughs>